Hello and welcome to The Course. I'm your host today, Lee, and I'm speaking with Assistant Professor of Law, Adam Davidson, from the University of Chicago Law School. He researches and teaches primarily in the areas of criminal law and procedure, constitutional law, and the intersection of race and law. His current projects focus on how tools within these and other areas of the law can further debates about reforming or abolishing police, prisons, and the prison industrial complex. Professor Davidson is here to talk to us about his career path and how he became a University of Chicago professor. So, Adam, let's start off by you giving me just a general overview of your career, beginning in your undergrad years and then taking me up to today and your current role at the university. Uh, sure. So uh, I went to undergrad at uh, The Ohio State University. I was actually a theater major, so my my focus was on performance, on acting and musical theater. And I thought at that time that's what I was going to do professionally. At the same time, I also got a business minor, so I took some you know sort of basic business management courses and econ courses uh, alongside that. But the bulk of my undergrad was spent in acting classes and script analysis classes and theater history classes. And, uh, you know, so you can, uh, you can imagine the, the gamut of what that looked like. So I graduated and thought about going that route for a bit, worked sort of some odd jobs for a little bit before almost randomly, I kind of discovered how much I might enjoy the law. Uh, it was an election year and I realized I didn't know uh, as much as I would like to know about uh, how elections in the United States worked. And I knew that uh, like the Harvard Law Review was a thing that existed in the world. Um, and so I just Googled, you know, Harvard Law Review election article. And as it turns out, there was some very interesting work being done at that time on partisan gerrymandering, you know, how different political parties will try and draw districts to ensure that they win certain seats. Um, and that just kind of caught my attention. Uh, and from then on, I you know did more research, did more prep, and decided to go to law school. And over the next couple years, while I was prepping and sort of finalizing that decision, I was a tutor and substitute teacher for a uh, public school system, you know, mostly teaching you know fifth and sixth grade English. So yeah, so that's how I found my way to law school. I didn't come to law school thinking I was going to be an academic. Although very early on, mentor and now friend and colleague of mine heard this story and said, you know, Adam, the only people who just go out of their way and read a bunch of law review articles for fun uh, are law professors. So maybe you should think about that. Think about, you know, pursuing that. Um, at the time, I thought, uh, that I was either going to be you know, maybe a prosecutor, this was the very sort of burgeoning stages of the progressive prosecutor movement, or a civil rights attorney. But as I made my way through law school, as I figured out what exactly it was that legal academics do, as well as how legal academics fit within the broader legal community, um, I realized that it really was sort of my dream job. And so Throughout law school, especially in my second and third years, I really focused on finding ways to do original research, to write, to work closely with professors. 
And I really think it was that that paid off because it was a lot of those relationships and a lot of that uh, sort of proving myself uh, that set me up to go into academia relatively soon after I graduated from law school, um, in part because I had uh, a bunch of professors who I'd worked with who, despite my own self-doubts, you know, my original plan was to practice for longer than I did who said, no, no, we think you can do it. You should go for it. And, you know, maybe it doesn't work out immediately and you go for it later. You know, that's your original plan, sure. But we think you can do it. And so, uh, you know, take your shot. And I did. And uh, it, it, uh, it honestly worked out better than I uh, ever could have hoped. I appreciate that. And so, Adam, can you tell me a little bit about what your particular research interests are and how you would explain them to someone who has... No experience with the law whatsoever. <laughs> sure. So I very broadly think about issues of uh, race and the, the prison industrial complex. So prison policing uh, and the criminal law is uh, one way to think of it. And I tend to think about these issues in terms of you know, we have a variety of problems when we think about especially the intersection of race and policing or race and prisons in uh, the United States. And criminal law, criminal procedure, constitutional law are not the only areas of law that exist. And they are not the only areas of law that have potential solutions to those problems. Uh, so, for example, I, uh, I have taken to looking at how things have, uh, how different problems have been solved in things like state and local government law to, and how those solutions might be turned toward problems in policing and problems in prisons. I have also taken an interest in qualified immunity, which is this idea that government officials, most famously or infamously police, shouldn't be held liable for a constitutional violation unless what they do violates uh, what's called clearly established law. And what exactly clearly established law is, uh, is complicated and a big debate. But the basic idea is that unless a court has said uh, here is what the law is in a sufficiently clear way, even if a police officer or some other government official does something that a court says violates the Constitution, that that police officer, that official won't be held liable because the law wasn't sufficiently clear at the time they acted. And so one of the ways that my work looks at this is to expand beyond just that particular doctrine of qualified immunity, but to look at how qualified immunity intersects with how we think about the judiciary and how we think about what seems to be driving judges' decisions, whether it's their professional background or their personal background or uh, their politics, or if it's, uh, you know, a pure just desire to get the law right, uh, there's still incentives and things operating on them and how that interacts with broader constitutional law. And so I try and my research tries to look at the structures, 
that society and especially government builds uh, and the solutions to those structural problems that come from a variety of areas of the law. Uh, I don't know if that was sufficiently simple, but uh, I tried my best. I appreciate it. I'm, we're, we're talking about complex things. But to rewind just a little bit, Adam, I know that you entered college thinking that you wanted to go into the world of theater. Is that something that you had wanted to pursue since you were a kid? Or was there something else that you were interested in back then? So as a little kid, I remember... I don't know if I wanted to be a lawyer or people just told me, oh, maybe you should think about being a lawyer because I guess I liked to talk and I was good at the things that people think of lawyers being good at. But I, uh, I really transitioned to the idea of being in theater in, I suppose, eighth and ninth grade. Uh, You know, we had a, a music requirement. And so I joined the choir and loved it and made a bunch of friends. And so from there, I uh, started pursuing theater and music more and more seriously. And so I, uh, I went into undergrad being a decided performing arts major. I knew that was, I didn't know if there was something else I might also do, but I knew that that was going to be the main thing uh, that I was pursuing. And is there anything about your background in theater that you think has aided you in your career as a law professor? I think there's a few things. Uh, I suppose the obvious one is it's just so much public speaking and sort of auditioning experience. And it maps surprisingly closely onto the experience of teaching a large class, Um, especially in law school where it is, it's uh, it's not a pure sort of lecture style. It's a much more interactive Socratic experience, Um, whether you're teaching, you know, a seminar of 10 or a doctrinal class of 70. So there's that, but even, even presenting research to colleagues and the question and answer sessions are all, I I very much feel like I'm drawing on uh, sort of my theatrical training But I think maybe the biggest thing that I didn't quite realize until I was pretty deep into into law school was how similar a lot of the background work is for law and theater, especially if you think of something like Shakespeare. So much of that is just textual analysis and really, really close reading of text. And that's a lot of what uh, legal research is. Um, It's finding the correct texts. It's figuring out how to interpret those texts, bringing a bunch of different tools to try and figure out the best meaning or, you know, the best meaning for your client of any particular text, usually whether it's a case or a statute or what have you. And those sort of analytical abilities that I developed originally in theater translated surprisingly well to the law. So Adam, I want to also ask you about the challenges that you encountered. I'm assuming you did encounter challenges when you decided to pursue academia and and specifically being a law professor. Tell me about that and tell me about what helped you overcome some of those challenges. Yeah. So I've been, you know, looking back on it, I have been incredibly fortunate in that uh, my career almost certainly could have gone any number of ways. And I had the right mentors to, to guide me as I, as, as I found my way. I mean, I think the, the biggest challenge for me 
was probably the biggest challenge a lot of us have faced in the last you know few years, which was the pandemic. So I I was a law clerk for several federal judges, and it was right around the time when I was uh, trying to figure out what I would do next that the pandemic happened, and being a be, being an being a law clerk is an incredibly collaborative experience because you, uh, though you're doing a lot of research and writing on your own, ultimately everything that comes out of the chambers has the judge's name on it. It is it is their final decision, and so you're always working very closely with them. Obviously, the pandemic disrupt, disrupted that um, in an incredible way, but I think one of the things that really happened was that in that disruption, I thought, oh, this will be, it's strange to say, but, you know, this will be great because, oh, well, now I have a bunch of time to focus on research. You know, I'm not, uh, no one was doing anything, you know, particularly social. But I think the thing that I've realized is that so much of, at least for me, so much of what gives me my sort of academic drive and the creativity that's necessary to, to have, to, to, to produce knowledge, I suppose, is that collaborative atmosphere, both as a, both as a law clerk, but also as, a, as, as an academic, especially as a junior academic. And uh, it was it was it, it was it was very hard. So I was a fellow here at the here at the, at the at, uh, University of Chicago Law School, and the thing that I love about the school, loved about it as a student, love it as a, as a junior professor, I loved it as a fellow, is that it is a deeply deeply collaborative atmosphere. Everyone is reading everyone's work and providing deep detailed comments. It is. It is an environment maybe like no other in the academy. And obviously that was wildly disrupted uh, by the pandemic. You know, I spent my first year as a fellow uh, basically locked in my apartment doing Zoom meetings. And though people tried and I tried to recreate that atmosphere, it, it's, it's obviously just something that's much, much more difficult to do. It's not basically impossible. And so that first year uh as a fellow and was 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 very difficult for me both personally and professionally and i think the the way that i came through it is you know, what i just alluded to is that uh you know it wasn't it wasn't perfect by any means no one will say it was but people really tried People uh, across the law school made really, uh, really great efforts to try and recreate the culture that uh, the pandemic necessarily disrupted, even when it was just in Zoom meetings or trying to go for walks outside um, to have conversations, still, you know, engaging with each other's work as much as we possibly could, um, engaging with each other in uh, trying to recreate the sort of natural, spontaneous uh, conversations that happen, you know, now when we're just happen running to each other getting coffee, and there was something about both, yes, the substance of that, but also the idea that everyone was trying to pull in the same direction, um, and everyone was putting in often a, a Herculean effort, even when 
you know, we all had personal problems and losses as a result of the pandemic as well that helped to that helped to motivate and inspire me even in particularly dark particularly dark times. So Adam, why did you want to become a professor? There are numerous things that you could do with your knowledge, with your JD degree. Why why do this? So I think it's a it's a few things. The first which was underappreciated for me at the time was how much fun it is to teach law students. Uh, uh, so this is my first year teaching a substantive class of first year law students. And even just seeing how, uh, how they think about the law and how they answer questions about the law uh, and interact with it between uh, the beginning of spring quarter and the end it's just like just brings a smile to my face. <laughs> the depth of their engagement, the thoughtfulness, um, and watching them grow into you know these people who are inevitably going to be very, very good and great lawyers and uh, have a have a very real impact on the world is just an incredible experience to have. But the other reason that I was really drawn to the job is that. It is one of the few, if not the only, areas of the legal profession where you get to just think both think about what you want to think about and say what you think is right. Just as a, you know, I've done my research and here is the answer that I have. Basically, everywhere else, you are either, uh, you know, if you're in the judiciary, you are often bound by precedent. Or even if you're not officially bound, uh, you know, something called stare decisis uh, says that you've got to follow the thing that, that uh, someone decided before you. And so unless you think that uh, the answer you're about to reach is just very egregiously wrong, uh, what you're supposed to do is say, you know, I may think that the, that the, you know, the, the best answer is uh, X, but the court before me said Y, and so we're going to go with Y. Obviously, when you're a lawyer and you have clients, you need to you need to and you have to do uh, what is best for your client, even if you might not think that's the best argument, even if you might not think that you know that's your preferred outcome is sort of a, a policy or a individual matter. You're you're you know you are your client's agent, and that's just not the case uh, as a professor. There is a level of freedom of intellectual freedom that I realized I realized both in law school and sort of solidified after that that I valued immensely and the ability to really put my head down and do research on topics that are immensely complicated often immensely controversial and know that I can uh, come out on the other side of that and say, here is what I think is right. Uh, me, Adam Davidson, what I think is the right answer to this problem. And I'd love to keep learning. And, you know, I'll realize that, oh, that answer I gave before changes when I learned this new thing, or it was incomplete in some way. And just that, 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 that freedom is more valuable than I ever would have thought before I came to law school. 
what is the most fulfilling part of the work that you do? And you could even tell me about a moment that you were deeply fulfilled if you want. I, so I, this is my uh, third year at the law school. I had, I, I was a, what's called a Bigelow fellow and I taught legal research and writing for two years. And this is my first year uh, as, as a tenure track professor. And so it's also the first year where students who I taught in their first year are now starting to graduate. And I think maybe the most fulfilling moments for me have been when, you know, I just always sort of thought of it as just sort of doing my job, uh, you know, having conversations with students, helping them figure out whether it's, you know, their sort of professional aspirations or where they're trying to go or how to get there. Or, you know, working with them on some writing project or just uh, sort of interacting with them in class and helping sort of guide their thoughts and their discussions. And coming back and having conversations with them now, you know, sometimes years later and realizing that maybe that conversation like helped them out when they were really struggling in a tough moment in school or that something as simple as how I'd try to sort of support them and guide them in a conversation in class, uh, you know, help them to help, help, help them to, to express an idea that they've been struggling with having those moments of recognizing that, uh, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm doing a little bit of good in my students' lives is just incredibly fulfilling in a way that I maybe never would have expected. I think similarly, the amazing thing about being a law professor, especially perhaps, is how deeply intertwined uh, the legal academy often finds itself with the rest of the profession. In part because obviously we're teaching future lawyers who, who we are influencing and who were helping her to learn to think about the law in different ways, but also because the legal academy so so often is also focused on uh, problems that are arising in the legal community as a general matter. And so seeing both through my students and through my work, how being a law professor can make the world a better place in even, you know, very small ways. It's just an incredibly, incredibly fulfilling part of the job. Thank you, Professor Adam Davidson, for your time today. And course takers, if you enjoyed listening to today's interview, please check out the other ones. Leave us a comment, subscribe, follow, and share this episode with your friends and family. You can find out more about the University of Chicago through uchicago.edu or the university's campus in Hong Kong through uchicago.hk. Stay tuned for more and thanks for listening.